Ding dong ding. Greetings, fellow podcast watchers. I've gathered you all here today for a special stream of The Ones Within. The rules are simple, but first a disclaimer. The following stream you're about to watch contains language and content that may not be suitable for our younger audience, so viewer discretion is advised. There will be spoilers for The Ones Within, so be very careful if you've yet to watch that or any other anime that may occur. Last but certainly not least, the views and opinions expressed are those of the players in tonight's stream and do not affect the podcast as a whole. That being said, your objective is simple. It's to raise this episode's view count to a thousand views over the course of its lifespan. Because in podcasting, this is not a game. There is no need for saves or continues. Do you think we could unwind at all? It's the only way we know to survive. Actually, it's the only way we know how to entertain. I just adapted this bit from the opening song. Enjoy the show. Students and welcome to the Dub Talk Dormitoriums. Where tonight in our Let's Play Arena, we have a couple of exciting games for you to play tonight. So join us as we play a special round of Dub Talk. Where tonight is our Patreon episode. Hey! Somebody paid us money, cash money, and got the chance to tell us to do a thing. Yeah, they must have pulled the Mario Party on that one. Yes, uh, tonight. Is a is a very special Patreon episode. It comes courtesy of our good old friend Lenti. How you doing, Lenti? What's good? Hello. Yes, and tonight, in their order, they decided to choose the show for us to cover, The Ones Within. Now, I bet you're wondering what to yourself, what exactly is the show The Ones Within about? Well, I'll tell you. For one thing, it's not Dangan Rapper if that's what it looks like to you. It really did look like Danganronpa. I'm really mad that it's not Danganronpa. <laughs> yes, because for one thing, nobody dies in the show, so... And it's not a death battle, and everything I have heard and everything I have seen led me to believe that this was, like, a death game anime, and it's not. Yeah, that was your first mistake. My brand. <laughs> uh, good old contact. So in case you wonder what the show is about... Uh, here's a quick synopsis for you. Akatsuki Iride is a popular live streamer for the free-to-play game The Ones Within Genome. But what was once fantasy quickly becomes his and seven others' reality when they're transported to the game world against their will. Few count matters more than ever before as millions watched them try to complete various high-risk challenges. Only the best will survive in the land that's always live. So basically, this is what if Twitch and Adore YouTube was an isekai. Which, we'll find out later on, it's not really an isekai. But man, did that first episode make you feel like it was. I'm not sure what the deal with, like, the island is, but it's like... I think the biggest thing that needs to be communicated about what The Ones Within is... Is that it's basically like a weird reality TV game show, but with, like, YouTuber and Twitch streamers... It's literally like fucking Batum with less death. 
Also, this show very much predated the uh, VTuber craze, so very much uh, these are regular streaming people in the flesh and not 2D. Anyways, so this show's interesting, and I'm very glad we're talking about it, and I'm very glad for Lenti that we could finally talk about it, because they have been submitting this one for, like, I think over a year now. Really? Wow. It's kind of like how Jacob had really wanted us to cover Golden Boy and had been submitting it for, like, well over a year now. The tenacity has indeed paid off. Tenacious D? <laughs> Yeah, this show is kind of interesting because I remember when this first came out, I was not a fan of it because I thought to myself, it's basically that homework being, you know, where you like, you took that group and be like, hey, bro, can I copy your homework? Uh, yeah, but don't, don't copy it exactly. And it did have some vibes and like, there were that and some other shows that kind of gave me this vibe, but it kind of fell flat. Look at you, Classroom of the Elite. But uh, the ones with it was kind of different because, you know, it's supposed to give you a death game vibe, but it doesn't because it's more comedic and thriller, if anything. But upon watching this again, I actually kind of dig it, to be honest. Though there is, <laughs> there is kind of a story, but I'll save that for when we get to the main characters. I'll say this. This show really puts the why in gamers, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Did you know this is based on a shoujo manga? I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know that until I looked up on Wikipedia and I thought about it and you know what? I think that makes some of it make a little more sense. This show's gayer than Other Side Picnic and Other Side Picnic was supposed to be gay. This show's really, really gay. I love it. I'm... 69 out of 10 on this. <laughs> I'm kind of down for it. You got guys, you got girls, you got three ways. It's like one big push. It's wonderful. Wow. But anyway. You even got slimes if you're into that shit. Squishy. Ooh, okay, then. Look, Lenti, you know what we're about. You know what you signed up for. Have fun, my friend. You're getting your money's worth, Lenti. <laughs> And then some. <laughs> oh my god. You okay, Gigi? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I just... I forgot that this was a Patreon episode. Yep. Oh my. And the only episodes I do are Patreon episodes, so... J Jamal, please, please continue with your, your backstory on The Ones Within. Uh, to which, I am not one to ever say trigger warnings, because... I like to be surprised, but there's a huge trigger warning for me in this anime, and uh, somebody didn't bother to warn me about it so I could at least cover my eyes and save myself the rehashing of my childhood trauma. I do apologize. I forgot you have a thing with fish, and there's a really big fish in this one. Ugh. A really scary one. Ugh. So I am indeed sorry. I really am. All right, we'll cancel you later. Please go on, Jamal. I think it's time to start our usual segment off with uh, the ADR staff. Chugga chugga, let's go. Yes, and speaking of going, who got to who got to handle this project? You ask. 
Well, for one thing, it's a fun major job, but for two, uh, we have two ADR directors and two scriptwriters. Our ADR director is Clifford Chaper. You see Mr. Chaper direct other shows such as Dr. Stone, a loved episode to Keijo, The Millionaire Detective, and New Game. He is assisted by uh, Michelle Rojas, who you see them also direct Higurashi Wendy Cry Go and Sotsu, Kaguya Sama Love is War Season 1, Other Side Picnic, as we just mentioned. And Stand My Hero's Piece of Truth. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is a show. There are so many shows named My Hero all of a sudden. There's a lot of heroism to go around. There's a lot of heroin to go around too. I was going to make that joke and I'm glad you made it first. (laughs) (laughs) Our script writers are Blair Rowan and Caitlin Barr. Blair Rowan, you've also seen him write for Blood Blockade Battlefront and Sequel and Beyond. Sales at Work Season 1, Chain Chronicle The Light of Asitas, and Tokyo ESP. Caitlin Barr, you've also seen the right for other stuff such as Africa Salary Man, The Case Study of Vanitas, which is currently airing right now, Sasaki Miyano, and Just to Stick It to Noah, Fate Collide Line of Prisma earlier Twi. Oh my god! Uh, what? I'm, you- I'm sorry, the way he says collide and he can say Kaleido Star, you couldn't say one without the other. See, I'm offended because all of the valid choices you had, you went with fake Kalid? It's a grammar thing, don't worry about it. <laughs> Fucking fake Kalid. Oh lordy. I So yeah. This show, this dub, is actually pretty interesting in a couple of ways. I, I need to reconfirm this to make sure. But if I remember correctly, I think when this came out, this was a same-day simuldub, actually. So I, I believe a lot of this was day and date. Uh, no, because when this came out, this was the season after the Sarasanmai. Cliff was not doing the same-day simuldub then. Okay, hang on. Now I need to actually look this up because I don't believe you. Please continue on. So basically, with Cliff, he he's very technical and knows what to get out of his uh, actors. So when I saw him take out this show, I guess it was a way for him to cut loose because I know that he's had to deal with shows that kind of have a, a loose subject matter, if you will, like, you know, something that is serious but not serious at the same time because I know he did Darwin's Game and Define Gate, which Darwin's Game did deal with some serious matters, but the way it kind of executed was kind of, eh. But I know Cliff knew... I had to handle that dub very well. I didn't really watch much of it, but I did like what I saw for the most part. So, bringing on Michelle Rojas, Michelle did, did a very good job. Michelle's starting to come into their own now, nowadays. I mean, I, I mean, Michelle has a studio and has done several projects on their own, like, which, yeah. I, I, I like some of the stuff that they, they've done, and they've got a good working relationship with Cliff. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, it's just this kind of predates Studio Nano a little bit. I know that for sure. This was this was a show in 2019. Yeah, so they were still doing like little bits of ADR work there, like ADR prep, uh, script writing sometimes, time code. E- either way, they they've done a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Okay, hang on. So can can we talk semantics of how this how this game works? Because it's it's a live stream and it's like. The numbers are always going up, but they're never going down, and I don't get how that works. It's a cartoon. 
Okay, yes, but it's like... Are you talking about the life count on the yes, arm? Yes, like, yes, that. It's the number of views. It's cumulative. Okay, so it's not it's not measured by how many people are watching at one time. It's no. about how many unique people tune in to watch. It's like I just explained. It's like basically YouTube. They are they are live streaming this, you know. Like see, see, see that's what. Why are you trying to make sense out of this? Because the Japanese writers sure didn't fucking try. See, that's what I'm trying to figure out. It's like if if this is a live stream, there's no way you can keep a regular count going up. So it must be cumulative over time. That's how they track yeah. it. Yeah, because it's if if it was to get a hundred millions at one time. The show would be very different, and it's basically doing as much wild, raunchy, and, like, NSFW shit as you can at one time. I mean, that's why there's a constant count at the end of every episode. Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter anyway, because guess what? They don't get out, and there's no conclusive ending. Uh, and the OVA is fan service. The OVA is basically just a bunch of, like, four coma stuff, and I, I it was very wacky, but... Anyways, I guess we should probably talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff for a second. But, because it's got a pretty unique cast in general, actually. Even at, even at the time of going back to review this, a lot of these people were... Like, some of them were relatively not as frequently used or were still coming into their own. Or were some people who had been in the game for a while that hadn't been getting as much play as before and... It's a pretty unique cast and crew in general, including, like, at least one or two, I think, are, like, career standouts for some of these people in particular, which which I actually have, like, high praise for a few of these. And, like, there's, there's actors in the show I hadn't really been familiar with before, and some of them played, like, some of my favorite characters in the show, and that's pretty cool. And the script is a ton of fun. Can I just tell you how much I love it? We got cinnamon rolls, we got babies, we got Dim Witsuki, which makes my boyfriend laugh really hard. I forgot about Dim Witsuki, that's pretty fun. Oh my god, Caitlin Barr is so good at writing this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I could not believe they got a, a genuine cinnamon roll too good for this world in there and made it work. God bless him. Oh, uh, it was very fun. I also like... Anytime Himiko is talking about her babies, I always crack up. I think the one that, that fucking killed me was, THINK OF THE BABIES! <laughs> like, and then all the alpaca puns. If you could make a pun about alpacas, it's in this dub. Like, pacocktail. And I was like, you're kind of stretching. But it's the OVA, so I'll allow it. Look, pacocktail killed me because I'm like, oh, that, that <laughs> sounds Freudian. I dig it. Oh my uh. god! What? I hate you. <laughs> they are just like, oh my god. I don't know. I'm sitting there cheering when the two dudes are like holding hands for the first time. And I'm like, oh, finally. It finally what, happened. What, was that during the hide and seek game? I don't remember. Uh, but either way, this there's some choice lines throughout this dub. And I also just love the absurdity of it. And it just, it comes across... In both the actors' deliveries and just the things that are said. It's very meme-worthy, and it needs to be because this is a show about, you know, Let's Players, aka, like, Twitch streamers, and you've got to make those pog jokes. But there was not, like, one pog joke. It doesn't really go hard on, like, gaming references or Which streaming references. 
Because I'm just, not a gamer. They're just a bunch of weirdos. And I feel like some of the, the stuff was kind of just an excuse for their specialty IRL. But there's a lot of wacky scenarios in this. And I just... I think the script and the vocal direction lends credence to how silly and manic a show like this is. And it really worked for me a lot more than I was expecting to. I also was just expecting this to be a lot more of a darker... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More violent yeah, I... show than it was. I was kind of withholding that because when y'all said it was a death game, I was like, yeah, let them find out for themselves. So. <laughs> I thought it was a death game. I had watched like three episodes previous to, to watching this and I was like... Okay, I can hop on this one real fast. Like, I've seen a quarter of it. Like, I'll be fine. And it's a death game, which I watch all of them. All of them. But it does remind me of the Battle Royale movies without all the violence. Like, I don't know. Have you guys seen the live-action Battle Royale movies? I lo- I've i seen Battle Royale. That's a good movie. I'm, I'm familiar with it because a friend of mine's a filmmaker, and he was big into Battle Royale. It reminds me a lot of that just in the relationships between the characters but without all the violence if that makes sense and it's got the absurdity of like the end of battle royale which i don't want to spoil that for you because this is not you know you you should you should definitely watch the first battle royale movie it's a really good movie the end is really weird though i think it's great that last 20 minutes with the basketball that's what i'm talking about anyways yeah um so um, th- this this is a very fun show, and I think the cast and crew know that this is a fun and wacky show, and they have fun with it. Also, I know we're not going to talk about it. I I want to give a highlight to the panda girl and how much woo. <laughs> they made her so woo, and they're like, I'm ve- I'm very excited. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. Oh uh, sh- shout out to that absurdity. I did uh, I did something different while I was watching this. Because um, I did not look at the cast or the crew until the show was over. And I knew, Lenti, I knew you requested it. And I was like, did they write this? Like, because usually, or write or direct, that's the deal, right? And I, I c- <laughs> we'll talk more about it when we get to the characters. But like, I thought a good two thirds of these were not the people that are actually play them in my brain. I pretty much was like, Oh, okay. So this is like my hero academia, but in a death game. Uh, and I literally like, I could pick out our lead character right away. Like that one was right. And then I was like, okay, well there's a Bakugo. I was like, there's a Momo. If Momo were like, headcanon fan fiction momo i was like there's all there's an ochako there's like the sundere i was like okay i'm basically watching and listening to my hero academia Siege, yes you're gonna need to clarify which sundere sundere is the pink haired girl okay i'm gonna be real with you half of this cast are all sundere i mean yes but some of them are cooler, like... She's Token Sundere, and then there's token. Anya, who's Biker Sundere, and he's like Bakugo Sundere. Anya is Bakugo, basically. Then there's Zakuro, who is straight up, like, mysterious Baka boy, and, like, 
Uh, I, I want to go into talking about all, all, a bunch of these characters, but anyways. Yeah, so like for a lot of these actors, I thought they were the same actors who were in My Hero Academia, and they're not. That was a foolish assumption. We'll, we'll get I heard Cliff Chapin as one of them, clearly, and I was like, oh, you're not Bakugo. Okay, cool. Well, this makes it a little bit like more fun, and then I went back and watched it like hearing the actual actors who were playing them. So I think like this casting is kind of genius as in it's like sort of typecast, but like sort of like with new actors. So basically it's kind of like you see these are very familiar anime tentpole characters, not played by people who typically are associated with those type roles. Yes. Except for our main, our main dude. But I thought it was, I thought thought that was interesting. Like, I've been put on a bunch of Cliff Chapin shows, and he always likes to do fun things with his casting for the ones that I've been on. And so I think that this was no, was no different. And I'm grateful that he gave, at least I think in 2019, these like are newer, a lot of newer actors to me. I mean, except for, you know, the obvious, but I don't know. I thought that was really good. I enjoyed the casting on this a lot because I felt like it it was typical, but not typical. And I was very happy with the reason why we're covering this show, where where Lenti's involvement is in all of it. Because I was like, I dig this. Like, this is, this is good. So... I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed the whole behind the scenes part of it. And Caitlin Barr, we all know that she can write comedy like no one's business because I sat through Haikyuu. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, the the dub of Haikyuu is the only reason why I can watch Haikyuu. So. Oh, the dub of Haikyuu is fantastic. Like I, I adore that. And I'm so, I'm so excited about uh, season four stuff coming soon. <sighs> So I'm 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 good. Um, I yeah I've said my piece. Jamal, what say you? Well, pretty much a lot of my sentiments echo you guys. It's like Cliff knows what he's doing. He knows the material well. You know, there's nothing too serious that he couldn't handle. So he gives it his all when he needs to. And other times we just I guess just basically let the actors do the stuff because. This is a very eclectic cast that we're going to get into a sec, but I think everybody did a very good job. And uh, so I guess we're going to move on into the, I guess, get a head start in the game itself. <laughs> first, we got some, uh, I guess, a couple cheat codes to enter, if you will. Our first group. I was going to say, you could say these characters jumped out of bounds. They very, mu- they very much clipped out of the world, so to speak. Yeah, they went through the fire to the limit to the wall for this, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gigi. <laughs> All right, who are we talking about? We have the game master, and a mysterious man dressed in, with an alpaca head on for some reason. Of course, he seems to be behind a lot of the events that happens on not only in the games, but apparently with the uh, slight kidnappings, if you will, of our uh, players. For some reason, when we get into his backstory, he says that he is unable to leave the game 
because of a promise he made. To what promise? We'll never know. He also wears a suit and an alpaca mask because he's got a bunch of severe ver birds. And then never elaborates. I guess that's uh, kind of a way, it's his way of teasing. He's also a little pseudoish to the players because, Jesus Christ, that whole thing with the... Yeah, I, I want to go more into that, but he is not what I expected from a game master of a game like this. He's basically what if Monokuma was playing Koi. I'm going to be... Okay, fuck it. I'm, I'm trying to wait to, to introduce everybody before going into this. He's not really a Monokuma. He's... No, no, he, he's not. He's not scared at all. He's not intimidating. Like, he's not... He's weirdly friendly, but, like, not in, like, a dickish mascot way. Like, he just... He genuinely seems kinder than he lets on. Yeah, he's basically a, a he's basically a mysterious figurehead. That's all he is, especially in that OVA too. Like, oh my <laughs> god, oh my god. And then we have the dropouts. As a uh, packer explains in the first episode, uh, dropout is when a is when a player not only fails a task or either fails a task or disturbs the severe harmony of a game, at which point somebody is sent to a clean room. And we'll have to remain there until the other players reach uh, 100 million views. And so, as such, these are, I guess, essentially three of the dropouts. We have Nanami Onojima, we have Chihiro Akafuda, and we have Sakura Oshigiri. Oh my god, are their names actually Sakura and Zakura? Yes, yeah. Oh god, that's confusing. Uh, for obvious reasons, but we'll get to that in the next section. Yeah, so basically, it's, we meet these three at the third way through episode 9 and most episode 10. You find out that these were previous dropouts from the competition. As such, they have or had these bracelets that have their names engraved on them. In the event they end up a corpse, they know to identify the bodies. Nanami explains that, this is kind of an exposition dub, they explain that they're secluded on an island far off, to which... At times, helicopters will bring in supplies for the contestants. You just won't know it because they're too busy playing the games. Uh, Sakura Oshigiri is a, a twin sister of Sakura Oshigiri. Oh god, it just hit me. This is going to be a deep cut for some of you people. 13th Avenue is Greed Island. Don't talk to me. <laughs> what? Dude? Dude. I'm gonna think about that while Jamal talks. You just sh shut your word hole. <laughs> I'm so glad I never finished Hunter Hunter. Oh, that's fucking bitch talk, man. That's fucking bitch talk. Nah, this is dub talk. <laughs> bitch talk is my new podcast. Oh, okay. I will shut up now. Yes, please. Sakura is the twin sister of Sakura Oshigiri, who went missing over two years ago after she played the beta version of the ones within Genome. As a result, Sakura has been trying to find missing leads, ended up getting himself captured. We come to find out that she's a member of the 11th Avenue of players, which the whole thing about this game is... Every avenue resets with a new crop of players. It's Squid Game. Sorry, I just spoiled it for you. I've seen a lot of it through cultural osmosis anyways. I'll, and I'll get to it eventually. 
Yeah, so basically Nanami is from the 9th Avenue. He, as he explains, he's been on the island over 4 years. Hence our current crop of crew, the 13th Avenue players. Sakura and Chihiro are from the 11th Avenue. Which is the same place, just different graduating class for lack of a better term. So basically these are the kids that survived because they got out and everybody else that was in their class died. Not necessarily. The way that they explain it is that... They got, you know, quote unquote, kicked out, but they, which means they were supposed to be killed. But instead of being killed, they found a secret passage in the clean room and are now living underground. I thought it, I thought it was basic. I thought it was basically that like the white room is where they have to stay until their, their squad finishes the game. And then neighbor did. It is, but as Nanami explains, it was he and a former partner of his who dug that hole in the white room. Mm, got it. Yeah. And Chihiro is also a member of the 11th Avenue. Basically, just tags along with the crew. Also, previous dropout of the game. Yeah, there's real, no real plot for him other than that. He's kind of like, what if Zakuro was, like, was protecting his sister at the very moment? Because he's very defensive. Sister. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think my favorite thing about the uh, underground mole people is that um, uh, Onigasaki is basically there and he realizes the T is that Chihiro is into Sakura and Sakura is into uh, Nanami. And then he's just like, I gotta be nicer to Hiro for ne- from now on. But, yeah, he's so into it, but he's that he's kind of protective because Sakura can be kind of an airhead at times, but... She's also sneaking around, too, searching for parts for Nanami. So who plays these people? Nanami is voiced by Chris Burnett. Shihiro is voiced by Derek Snow. And Sakura is voiced by Don Bennett. Chris Burnett, you've also heard this, he wrote by Hara from Assassination Classroom, Young Ace from One Piece episode of Sabo, and Romeo from Romeo X Juliet. Wow, that's a deep cut. It is, yeah. Derek Snow, you've heard this lower in Dance with Devils, Shinra in Fire Force, and K Kamatori Norin. Don Bennett, you've heard this Ritsuka from Dance with Devils, Satsuki from Konohana Kitan, and Setsuna Tokage from My Hero Academia. Ed Packer is voiced by Ben Phillips. Ben Phillips, you've also heard this Yuzo Kashima in A3, Yoshitaki Shiraishi in Golden Kamui. And Rudy says for himself in Mushoku Tensei Jobless Reincarnation. So, yeah. The dropouts are definitely pretty fun, so... I- I'm gonna call them the mole people. Cause they are. But I like these mole people. They're alright. They're good kids. Poor hero, poor baby boy. Trying his best. But he's not succeeding. When you try your best that you don't succeed. For sure. But he's doing a good job. But I like how he's just kind of a little crybaby that's trying to be tough. Because he's trying to be cool and he cares about Sakura. And I dig that. And Derek's got a nice little, uh, little tough bratty kid. But also very sensitive and like cries a lot. It's like, oh, that's sensitive. I have a question about Nanami. Were they implying he was gay? So, okay. <laughs> In the last episode, wasn't he in a photo with uh, What's-His-Face's parents? 
No, no. It looked like that, but that was not the case. Uh, okay. Because I was trying to make sense out of the ending, and quite frankly, I couldn't. I um, also couldn't. I was trying to figure out what that last scene actually meant, and I didn't get it. I I tried to look something up, and I accidentally got it spoiled for me. That, so. that, duh, that's what, you, that's what happens. I need the spoilers because this manga is not available in English, so this fucking read the manga ending, oh, I can't, because it's not in fucking English. And I'm not going to buy it, and I'm not... <laughs> gonna read it illegally so i guess i'm just gonna spoil myself fair enough somehow uh because i'm angry because i'm interested and there was no payoff but that being said yes in this love triangle here where no one is going where they want them to go nanami is looking for his partner which since half the people in this are getting shipped i'm gonna say yes Nanami's in love with his partner, who we don't know where he is and we'll never know because the anime ends abruptly. Sakura's in love with Nanami and Chihiro is in love with Sakura and that's how the triangle goes. Uh, see, I was wondering because they had like a whole scene where it's like uh, Kaikoku is changing because like he, he's like going down and Nanami's like, oh yeah. my, oh god, you're just doing that like so casually? Oh, I man. thought I was that like, was the scene she meant. So that's, that's also where I thought you were going. And then we, we went into a whole other direction because we are dumb talking. Tangents are the name of the game. But I think Chris Burnett does a good job. We don't get to hear him pop up in a lot of things. But I think he had a nice, good, like, big brother, casual guy that was doing his best. And he's looking pretty all right for a mole person. I really enjoyed him. I thought... Like, if he were in more than two episodes, this probably would have been my best boy. But he's only in two episodes, and then we know nothing about him ever again. Derek Snow sounded like Derek Snow, but funny. And I like it. I'm not saying it's bad, because we all know Derek Snow, the real MVP for being in Dance with Devils. Along with Don Bennett. Yeah, the real MVPs. And I normally I can sort of place... Don Bennett and I couldn't hear. Don's so. fun because Don has a very, very powerful uh, vocal registry. And yes. this is small, cute Don. Mm-hmm. This is falsetto Don. Which is a fun Don in particular. If you want, like, a particular reference for small, cute Don, I'd probably say something equivalent to her work in Anime Gatari's. Yes. I was I was gonna say it's a little bit like her kale, but I, I think it's a little more smaller. But I I felt like the longing in all of their performances because the one thing that is a, an ongoing theme throughout this anime is that nobody should be left alone. And so when Sakura was given the choice if she wants to go back up and and see her brother. She's like, no, my family is down here now. Like, we can't leave anybody alone. I think it was also that kind of way where she was like, I can tell you care about my brother. I trust you to keep him safe. And also... <gasps> Stop it! Oh my god! My did, heart! Did you not get that? Look, I was very distracted by the cherry blossoms and the white background and, like, the manga-looking panels. And I was like... Gay, 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 Dude, it, gay, okay, gay. look, she, she, she approves of Kaigoku being her big brother-in-law. I was also very distracted by the giant scary fish 
Okay, that's fair. But anyways, I, I like Chris, Derek, and Dawn a lot. I think their characters are very fun and very enjoyable. They, they left oppression, even if they're only there for a few episodes. I want to talk about the one I really want to talk about now. I fucking adore Ben Phillips as Paco. Oh, I forgot about him. <laughs> what the fuck? Ding, dong, ding, ding. I mean, I forgot that he was in this group. I... Okay. Uh, I was gonna say, how did uh, you forget about Paco? He's a no, cool. he's funny. He's funny. Okay, yes, yes. good. I was gonna have to cancel you then. Shit. Listen, bitch. Was this Paco erasure here? He's not fluffy enough. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, honey bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ben Phillips is absolutely one of those actors where it's like, I, I very much remember when we did the Dub Talk Q&A, somebody asked, who's an actor you think is very underrated? And I was like, I, I could think of like a lot of actors that I think are great that don't get enough recognition. But the one that immediately came to mind is Ben Phillips. Ben Phillips has been around for a little while, and he's got a very interesting, unique voice. And I feel like that there are some people who are sleeping on him and don't know the kinds of talents he possesses. So this is after Golden Kamoy, which I really liked him in Golden Kamoy, but I feel like this is interesting in that this is a very dynamic trickster character, which is not something I think I've ever heard Ben Phillips pull off, is that he is a cunning suave trickster who is not showing all of his cards. But he's got, like, a nice, very, like, civilized, almost public servant voice while also being a little bit of a troll who's kind of like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm wounded that you would assume the worst about me. I just wanted to be friends. And then he acts very like, oh, I, I don't want to come in. Everybody's mad at me. I also love that the script is very fun with him in particular because he gets all the pack of puns, which I, I the one I totally forgot about was in like episode 12 when they're explaining how the coins work. And he's like, yes, come to Paka. I'm like, ah, <laughs> fuck. That was good. No, Bet Phillips is a really dynamic actor who's getting to play mysterious, unassuming, menacing, Funny and even a little sweet. Like, I know this is like mo the Monokuma or whatever, but he's a much more unique character than I was expecting. Like, I didn't hate him. He didn't seem actively malicious. But, see, the thing with that is, is that you have to remember that we don't have the whole story here. And even at the end, like, we don't have the whole story. So is he malicious? That, like, that's a good question. Is, is he just a troll? Is he, like, Ian Sinclair Golden Ham Award winner? Like, we we don't really know because we don't get the story. See, I, I, I'm just going off of, like, what is presented to me, the viewer in this thing, because... The other thing I was actually surprised about with Paka is he intervenes, which was not something I was expecting, is, yeah. is that he actively intervenes in the game, which, like, you would assume something like this. It's like he can't intervene. He can't really help. 
Like, a Monokuma is like, he's gonna be an asshole and call you a virgin cuck scrub before giving you a hint that'll help you with the mystery or something like that. But no, Paka is actually assisting? Like, it's clear, like, he's not supposed to, but he does. Like, he actively saves Iride from, like, the demon grandpa and throws a bone to, uh... Yuzu? Yuzu, thank you. Like, actually helps, like, behind the scenes, which is, it very makes me curious, like, what his actual true true intention is, because, like, the but goal... But why? Like, we don't have his motivations, and they're not told to us. So I think it's hard to portray something like that, where you don't even know what the true motivations of your character are i think ben did a great job he was hysterical i i think that i think that's what makes it more interesting is that there is clearly an era of mystery and the way he plays him is mysterious but compelling but it's also very confusing because you don't know if you want to root for him or is like irite working for him because we find out that somebody else is working for him but why and like i have all my theories about stuff that happens in this because i love this type of anime and it really makes me angry when i can't get a conclusive ending but i i feel bad for the directors and ben here because his motivations are so inconclusive that how do you possibly play this so i want to i just want to give him kudos for for doing it the best that he could and for still confusing the shit out of me because i still don't know what the fuck's going on and i watched the whole thing i was gonna say like even then with all that air of mystery it's like i think he absolutely sells that even with all the unknown variables at play and like truly got me curious and engaged in this character and i feel like Whatever Apaka is trying to serve me, he serves it to me well done. And that same goes for Ben, which... Like, he's absolutely a very talented actor, and it's really fun, really entertaining getting to hear somebody like Ben Phillips really get to spread their weird, gross Paka camera wings and soar. <laughs> Seriously, what the fuck were those things? Those things were creepy. No, it was just an alpaca head with wings. It was a camera. I thought they were kind of cute. I'd buy the plush. Yeah, those are the pacamas, and they're voiced by Hayden Davio. Okay, cool. I just thought those things were uncanny. It was like, oh. Well, I mean, they still are uncanny. Also, they make they... very good bowling pins, because I'm still very impressed that Kari just basically knocked over, like, 50 of them with a single <laughs> throw. I was like, damn, girl! Ah, <laughs> uh, anime. Anime. But no, like, J Jamal, I was like, what do you think? Because I, I I, adored Ben a lot. Yeah, so did I. Of course, Ben's not, obviously not a voice you don't hear as often, but when you do, he he knows when to plot the stops, because I still remember his uh, President Turtle in Africa Salary Man, which... Oh, you corporate drones! <laughs> which is also kind of menacing, but in a different way. Also, that... Oh, I can't badmouth turtles. I love turtles. But that one kid, I really wanted to put into the sun. Anyway, that's not the point tonight. <laughs> ben knows when to pull the stops. He knows when to tug the strings when they say, like, you have an air of mystery if the character is needed. Like, the packer by itself, by itself is very malicious. It's very trollish, but that's by design. It's only when you, well, when you get a glimpse of what his true nature might be 
is when he really digs into the role. But of course, we'll never know any more from there, other than what he reveals. So I still remember that monologue in episode five, which, when I watched the show again, made me think, okay, somehow they're trapped in a computer game. It's only when I get to nine and ten that I realize, yeah, they're definitely on an island, which which I is can't just take it. Greed Island, okay? No, it's not. Greed yes, Island it is. was not real. No. Greed Island was a real place. No, That's it the... wasn't. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. It actually fucking was. Whatever. I think... No, it wasn't. That was the trick, is that it was actually a real place and they made it look like a game. Which... Oh my god. I'm spoiling Greed Island, but whatever. Fuck it. I'm right. No, it yeah. wasn't. It is kind of reminiscent of something else, but I'll wait to get to that. Phantom Hunter that. Hunter, tell, me, tell us in the comments if I'm right. Look, I just thought the other day I was going to rewatch Hunter x Hunter, and like now I'm going to have to, even if I have to slog through Greed Island again, because the only worthwhile part of Greed Island is, is the fact that is Hisoka, yes. And you get you oh. get a good shot of Hisoka's ass, and he plays he plays Q volleyball with the boys. And flat hair Hisoka, the best Hisoka. Ah, bless you. Anyway, speaking of that, it's an exposition, dubs. Chimera Ant Arc's the best arc. Fuck you, fight me. Fuck you, I will fight you. Please continue, Jamal. Speaking of digging holes, uh, <laughs> the dropouts. I really... Anyways, Ben, you're really, great. We love you. Please do more ben, cool things. Ben, you're great. Ben, you're great. Chris, you're great. We also want you to do more things. Don, you're great. I love your falsetto voice, because I can't tell half the time if... Is your character's young or being an airhead or both, but if it, it works for what the character needs to be, even if she is kind of shy. And Derek, you're amazing. Rip and piss hero. You have no chance. Yeah. Unless it's Sunny Boy, maybe, but even then. It's a very good show. Go watch Sunny Boy. When I get to time, I will. That's fair. There's too much anime. Yes, yeah, so speaking of too much, are y'all ready to move on? I want to talk about the gamers, okay? Yes, uh, speaking of gamers, uh, prepare for a visual assault on your senses, people. We're going to be talking about the 8 players that make up the 13th Avenue. Okay, so starting off, we have Sakura Oshigiri. His specialty is stealth games. Mad's basically a ninja, that's why he never takes his masks off. We have Anya Kuda, whose specialty is fighting games. That's self-explanatory. But, of course, like every fighting game, there's a good backstory to that. We have Kaikoku Onigasaki, whose specialty is Sengoku period in Japanese games. He's probably very good at Ghost of Tsushima. Ooh, uh, you know what? That's not a bad one, actually. We have Makino Aikawa, whose specialty is dating sim. He's a man of very few words and uh, very long naps. Fucking mood. Also, you stare into his eyes for longer than five seconds, you'll be instantly smitten. Mm-hmm. True facts. Boy knows how to work those charms. Yeah, someone who needs chops, however, is a Kerisai Yashiki. Fucking coward! She's got plenty of charm, and you know it. Yeah, when she's not- All of her viewers want to get stepped on, and that just means she's got a- she's cultivated the right audience. Look, all I- all I know from the boys in the, uh, hot- in the Hot Springs episode is that, uh, she's got gigantic and she'll kick your ass even if you were in the right. Uh, just because she likes horror games does not mean she's not afraid of horror, as we've also learned. That, that's how you get the. That's how you get the reactions. They're genuine if you're actually scared. Mm-hmm. We also have Hibiko Inaba, whose specialty is farming games. 
So she'd be very good at Animal Crossing. Okay, I'm... I actually literally wrote down for this episode what games I think these people would would play IRL. Let's go let's go around the gambit before I, I make my thesis on that. We have Yuzu Robo Mori whose specialty is puzzle games. Yeah, she can be quite puzzling indeed. And we have Akatsuki Irude whose specialty is escape games and uh I don't even know if that's something you can stream. I think that just means he does IRL like escape rooms with people and he's just Well yeah he does, but also now in this day and age there's something called escape room simulator, so he would he'd be very good at that. Okay, that's so, fair. So as far as what games I think these people would personally specialize in, here's where I think I'm at. So I think Zakuro is going to be a big Metal Gear Solid guy. Because that, that's a pretty obvious, pretty lucrative uh, stealth yeah. game in general. And then, of course, there's there's probably some like actual ninja stealth games out there. I just don't know them offhand. Anyakudo, he moves fast. He goes in for the kill. I think he's a big fan of Arc System Work fighting games. Specifically, I feel he's a Dragon Ball Fighters guy. I think that's going to be his big game of choice. Alongside maybe stuff like Persona 4, Ultimax, and Guilty Gear. Kaikaku, I think he personally prefers games like the Dynasty Warrior series. But for views, he got popular grinding token Ranbu. Hell yeah! <laughs> and as for Aikawa, I wrote down... I don't really know specific dating sims. I just imagined he's basically like the protagonist from the world God only knows and is basically just a master completionist for a bunch of dating sims. Well, given that he loves animals, I'm thinking either Hatter for Boyfriend or Doki Doki Literature Club. The f what? <laughs> Any of the key games. Oh, yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess key, sure. As for uh, Karin... I'm going to say she's big on games like Resident Evil and Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, for sure. Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, Yuzu, I'm thinking she is extremely competitive on Tetris 99 and Puyo Puyo Tetris and can basically crush anybody. But on the side, her secret passion is playing Hunipop. Yep. Because let's face it. It is very clear that girl's a disaster by, and she is all about them girls. And as for Akatsuki, yeah, just, I think he's just an IRL escape guy. And he just makes friends with everybody, even though he's a fucking weirdo. What about Himiko? You know, she's into Stardew Valley. Oh, yes, I forgot Himiko. Uh, Himiko is absolutely Animal Crossing Stardew Valley, for fucking sure. All right. Okay, so we covered all of our bases. Except for the actor. <laughs> Uh, yes, we need to actually go into that. Wait, we? way to jump in, Andrew. I was gonna wait, but he brought the idea to my head and I wanted to present it. I'm sorry. Anyway, playing these eight, Sakura is played by Steve Fu, who you've also heard as Noi Archivista in the case that your body test. Now, so Machio, how heavy the dumbbells he lift, and he's weather forecasting JoJo's Bizarre Adventures Stone Ocean. Ayakudo is played by Travis Molinix, who's voiced. Haoki Yabauchi in Class with the Elite, Takahashi in The Disastrous Life of Psyche K, and Shiro Kokufu in Invaded. Kaikoku is voiced by Eric Campbell, who you've also heard as Nakano the Helpful Fox Senko-san, Taichi Narada, Kageki Shoujo, and Gaoman SSS Dadazenon. Makino is voiced by Mark Allen Jr., who you've also heard as Ukiyo Sayonji in Dr. Stone The Stone Wars, 
Red Kohai Magic the Kingdom of Magic, and Rikuto Suji's Kageki Shoujo. Man, I I wish we got more Magi. Yes. I know there's Orient now, but it's not the same. Karin, or Karin as she's playfully called, is voiced by Christy Rothrock, who refers Matsuri Misusawa Citrus, Ilalu Mish Kobayashi's Dragon Maid S, and Toka Koritsu and Miss Koritsu from the Matsu Development Department. Himiko is voiced by Kate Bristol, who you've also heard as Kisa Soma and Fruits Basket, both the original and the new version. Kohau Otori from Hensky, and Mahime Shiroyuki from Super X Eros. Well, it wouldn't be Letty request if Letty wasn't in here somewhere. They voiced Yu Yuzu Mori, also voiced Lelouchia by the Grace of the Gods, Yuda and Kuma 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 Bear, and my personal favorite, Momo Hyakushiki from Nabaka. Yes. I really wish we got more of Nanbaka. That second season's a fucking God. cliffhanger and it's mean. Oh, so you're telling me I shouldn't finish Nanbaka because I'm just going to get angry? You can watch season one of Nanbaka and you'll probably be fine. Season two, you're going to be like, oh God, that's disgusting. All right. And Iride is voiced by Justin Bryder, who you've also heard this. Ah, speak of the devil. Ryota Mitarai, Danganronpa 3. <laughs> Hayato Shinomiya and Kiss Him Not Me, and Deku and My Hero Academia. Which, by the way, this made a little more sense once I looked in Japanese and I saw... It's, it's also Deku to it's, Japanese. It's Daiki Yamashita in Japanese. So, before we start talking about all these lovely actors, I would like to point out two things about this anime. The first one is that there's an insert song in almost every episode... Yeah. And they are good insert songs. <laughs> are, are I wanted to ask, are those all sung by the Japanese Seiyu? Okay, so... Okay, I know the opening is sung by Anya Seiyu. Is it? Cool. One of them is sung by Megumi Ogata, who is yep. the Seiyu for Sailor Uranus. Is she in this anime? I don't think Megumi Ogata is in this. And one of them sung by Atoya from Utapri. The last one, I think. But I don't think he was in this either. Okay, so it's not the characters. I That's what I assumed. Like, it's about all the characters. I just assumed all the characters were playing them. I was like, wow, how much money did they spend getting these really good singers to do these insert songs? And then nobody watched this. That kind of says something about your show, doesn't it? Ah, I feel so bad because, like, these songs are so good. And I'm like... What the hell? They they got real people. Like, the ED is fucking fauna. Yeah. Like, the music in this is just outrageous. And then the other thing is, is that half the characters have birthdays on holidays, which I love because I'm a nerd. It's very overt about who's what. It's like, okay, the heart throbs on Valentine's yes. Day. And then, and then you've got the mysterious spoopy girl who's on Halloween. I love that shit because I'm really typecasted like that um so i feel like we should discuss this with the couples with the couples. Which, which ones or the thruples is the case maybe how okay how do we discuss this so we can start with the gays the lesbians the polyamory that's everyone that's everyone you can't even break them into things i will i will start talking and I will say, first of all, that Deku is Deku. 
You know how I said in Stranger by the Shore that I couldn't tell this was Justin Briner? Well, 1000% this is Justin Briner as Deku. It's Deku, but this is a crazy Deku. Is it a crazy yeah. Deku or is it a slightly more soft-spoken Deku? Because I think Deku is pretty fucking crazy. Okay, Deku is a crazy boy in his dreams and ambition, but he's an awkward boy that means well and is trying his best. I think Deku is sweet and sincere. I will fucking defend Deku. I, I don't care. If I see any of you fuckers insulting my baby boy Deku, uh, one, you're wrong. Two, shut the fuck up. I'm coming for you. And three, you're wrong. And three, you're wrong, yes. What I'm, what I'm getting about is Deku is emotional and complicated, but he at least seems like what I imagine a normal but slightly insane boy would think. In that he's insane is because he's got an insane drive. I think Iride is just fucking crazy. My theory is, is that he's played before. You know what? I think that's either he's played before or he's like, he's involved with the project, but has erased his memories. Because he wants to collect all of the level trophies. And he got like, he's like, oh, finally, I have this one in my hand. And so I just, I have this feeling that he's played before, which again, we won't know because it's not... <laughs> finished we're just we're just making assumptions right now but yeah i'm just headcanning this but if this is the headcanon and this is the the space that you're going to go into to act as this character i don't know i would have expected i'm not going to say a little bit more from justin briner because i don't i mean i know when justin briner does like a standout stellar performance and to you andrew and jamal it might be deku but to me it's in stranger by the shore when he doesn't sound like deku but i think every time he plays a character that sounds like deku it's all kind of the same i i'm really going to disagree with you i think he's a lot more talented than you give him credit for i'm not saying that he's mm -hmm. not talented i'm just saying that like this is a deku character type he sounds like deku and to me, like, I lump all of them into one thing. I don't think he sounds like a Deku character type. Because for one thing, Iridae tends to fall into himself for a lot like, of like, like, I'll say this. I see what you're coming from, and I definitely do hear it in the voice. But I don't think it is. this is the character, per se. Honestly, if I was to argue, I'd say he's maybe a little closer to Hanako-kun. Who's that? Toilet-bound Hanukkah-kun. He's like a very mysterious little ghost boy who's kind of a little bit of a teasing troll, but has a lot more going on under the surface than he lets Okay, on. see, I haven't heard the dub for that, so... I was gonna say, you're going off of, like, a couple of things, and I'm willing to at least vouch for Justin's ability, and I think he's got a lot going on here, and I think he's pretty fun as Iriday, as this... He's this friendly weirdo who's got some mysterious stuff going on, and we're not giving him credit. He's also the slime. Yeah. Okay, he's really good as a slime. <laughs> the fucking slime. The so... slime is great. Slime... I love that fucking slime. Well, mischievous, not evil, he's though. So... The slime's so fucking funny and weird. The slime is really funny. And, like, not to say that Eerie Day's not funny, because he is... But it's just like, I don't know, like in my brain of brains, this might be a casting choice for me more than anything, but I, give somebody else a chance. See, Gigi, I, Gigi, 
I almost think you would have a point in any other show, but given the cast we're talking about here, I don't think that's fair because there's a lot of people in this group that absolutely are unique and out of the casting box picks. And they are. Yeah. I, I agree. And that I said that at the beginning. I don't know. I just like every lead male character that Justin Briner plays, I have to go in my head. Is it Deku or is it not Deku? Is it real or is it cake? And here I got the cake. I got the cake, which is not bad because like I say, Justin Briner is very talented and he knows what he's doing. But again, with another character who we don't know what their true motivations are and we're not told and nobody knows... How do you come up with the choices? I think you have to just read about what the show is presenting and you just, you have to infer what the visual language of the show is and go from there, which is like <sighs> adaptive choices you have to make in general because most of the anime and most of the time you're not going to really have the source material to work on. But in a, in an anime like this, where it should have a conclusive ending, AKA everybody dies like not saying that this is a game where everybody dies because it's clearly not it's like dank and rumpa for kindergartners which by the way that kindergarten episode was probably my favorite episode honestly that's a good one and that has probably my favorite line read from justin in the show where they're riding on the giant panda and he just says yes! the line if we fall <laughs> we die okay yeah. <laughs> Because here's the thing, I, I don't want to harp on, like, the casting and the thing, because I think it's a really fun, wacky performance for a it weird is, character. It is, I just, I, I hear Deku. Yeah. I just hear Deku. And I'll say this right now, because in Anya, I heard Bakugo the whole way through. Okay, you know what? Let, let's. That was just the mannerisms. Let us go into his boyfriend, then. Because I want to talk about Anya, too, because there is nothing more powerful in this world than a male Sundere character type. And Anya Kudo's a really good male Sundere character type. And I really like him a lot. And the thing that's fascinating is I have not really heard Travis Molinay in anything or like anything. I don't really have a good reference for his voice. And I think he's amazing. I, I would actually argue that I think Travis is probably one of my favorite performances in the dub bar none. He's really funny. He's really interesting. And he really made a name for himself. Yes, he's playing like the aggressive Bakugo type, but he is not a Bakugo. Not even close. If anything, he is unbelievably sweet and caring and empathetic from the get-go. He's on the defense. So here's what it is. There's a difference between angry and angie. Okay. Ooh, woo, I'm mad. I made a fuck you wucky. Oh, shut oh the my God. Shut your fucking mouth. Ooh, fucking woo. Okay. Angry is literally a lot more volatile anger that you can tell is coming from a place of genuine harshness, cruelty, with the intent of violence for the sake of it. Angie is like, you've got a lot of shit going on you, you can't deal with and you have a lot of feelings, but you care a lot more than you let on, and when somebody lets in, your heart kind of just starts to goo all over, and you really have a grown attachment. Like, he would die for his friends. He's a good boy. 
I think Anya's adorable. He cares for his boyfriend, he cares for his girlfriend, he cares for all of his bros, even Zakuro, who he fucking bashed his head in, but he cares too. And I think Travis just does a great job selling me on angry little shitlord who will absolutely say it's not like I like you or anything, Baka. I love when him and uh, Himiko go in, like, the pyramid. Yes, that's my favorite yeah. on your part, I think. I love Angie boy and sweetheart little puppy girl when he's being mean, but then she immediately goes into mom switch mode. Is like, have you been getting enough sleep? But also when he's, like, listing nice things about Akatsuki, it's so cute. And it's like, he got mad at him for getting him his sleeping pills, but he knew it's like, I care about you and I don't want you to pass out and I want you to take care of yourself. I love him and his boyfriend. It's so good. This show is really gay. And if you think we're not going to comment on how gay the show is, you clearly do not know what the fuck Dub Talk Podcast is about, ladies and gentlemen. But no, I think Travis, I, I don't, not familiar with his work. And I think this is probably. He, I just looked up everything he's ever done. And other than maybe Classroom of the Elite, which I watched half of, like he hasn't been in any named thing where I could call him out. But his name's very familiar to me. So I'm like, how do I know you? I think he's done a lot of like engineering work and stuff. Maybe that's it. But still, I'm really glad he got a chance to play a character like Anya. This is a really interesting casting choice. And I, I'm really glad I got to hear him play a character like this. I just love his chemistry with everybody else. He's he, like, I don't care about you, Akatsuki. But then he's just chilling in his room reading shoujo manga. Which, man, what a fucking weird manga that is. Oh, yeah, they, like, pronounced the French incorrectly. I was gonna comment on that, too. That's okay, though. It was only one line. But I love him. I love his relationship uh, with uh, Akatsuki, and I love his relationship with Himiko. Because I think my headcanon, for those three in particular, is Himiko introducing somebody being like, this is my boyfriend, Anya, and this is Anya's boyfriend, Iride. Do you think in headcanon that Iride is actually Himeko's brother, like in real life? Because that was also my headcanon. God, I hope, uh, no. I hope not. Otherwise, it's going to make the section in a lot more awkward. Really? Because I thought she's like, I have an adopted brother. They don't know where he went. And then at the end, he was like, my mother is not my real mother. Oh, God. Okay. See, these are the things that if we had an ending, we could figure out. This shit drives me crazy. You know what? Fair enough. Anyways, so I'm just going to say, Akatsuki and Anya, they fucking, right? No, there's no argument here. Those two fucking. Oh, they fucking. They fucking. They should be fucking. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. cool Jamal, cool, cool. please please talk about how much they fucking. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, I'm going to start with Anya because I'm going to say everything for last for reasons. You're right. Anya is definitely very much a standout because other than Psyche K, I haven't heard much of Travis outside of that. <laughs> Which is funny because it's Psyche K. The original Psyche K, not reawakened. He played a green haired character that was more or less a punching bag. Like, you would see him every now and then, but you wouldn't really pay attention to him. Whereas, opposed to Anya, where you should get him a punching bag. 
But really, he, he does it because he cares. He, he just doesn't really show it or doesn't want to show it, you know. Makes him less than the sum of his parts, I guess I would say. Whereas with Day, yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from, Gigi, because I remember before we had dropped the prediction format a long time ago, I saw the synopsis for this show and I thought to myself, oh, you know who would be really great as the lead? And it's kind of obvious because this was up his nature at the time. I thought I was going to be on a hard sob, to be honest. I can see it. Oh, that would have been... Oh, yeah. Because at that time, like, he was doing voice acting and streaming. So I thought this was right up his alley. I thought Cliff was going to go the easy route, but... I mean, he still is doing both. He just pilots a robot now. I get it. Thank you, JJ. Hi, Sai. Anyway, I thought Cliff was going to go the easy route and cast him, but unfortunately, he had... Uh, Started to move out to California around that season, like just after Sars on my two, but it is what it is. And Justin did a very good job playing Bubbly, yet what could be the phase? We would never know. Because if anime has taught me one thing, is that the very, it's always the very nice characters that have the very mischievous dealings underneath. You know who's a big sweet cinnamon roll? Baby. Sweet baby, baby girl. Sweet baby girl. She baby. She, she baby, mama. but she is mama, but she is also baby. We're talking about Himiko. God, this performance is so cute. Oh, Kate's adorable. Normally, I don't like the cutesy. Like, normally the cutesy grates on me, but this was so cute. And I think the dialogue had a lot to do with it. I think it's the dialogue and also just how yeah. weird Himiko is. And then she's like, I killed my brother. And I'm like, no, you okay, didn't. Okay, that was also like, wow, you are stretching it, girl. No, I just love the fact that she is also really hyper-obsessed with her games. And then when she's kind of going off of that tangent, and then it's like you tell everybody's getting frightened of her. It's so funny. But she has, like, some of, like, my favorite lines in the show. And anytime she's just like, think of the babies. <laughs> Fucking funny. I'm not gonna lie, I still lost it that, uh, that egg simulator. Okay, the egg simulator thing was when I realized I know what the tone of the show is. These people are stupid. They're like, okay, we gotta th think of your ideal girl, Anya. Schoolgirl? Maki Maki is just like, Afro. <laughs> and Iride is just like, oh, I miss my panda friend. It's like, you fucking absolute buffoons. What did you expect was gonna happen? And then there was just a giant panda girl with an Afro voiced by Megan Shipman. And it's just like, oh, what the fuck? Ooh, woo. <laughs> so fucking stupid. But no, Kate was a great mama bear. And she's just, she's got this soft mom friend energy to her. She gives like the warmest hugs, but she'll also fuck you up. I really liked her in the cave also, the desert cave. Oh yeah, I loved, I loved yeah. her hanging out with Anya there. You know, I think that a lot of what makes this dub work is the relationships between the characters and how well they sound playing off of one another. Like, yeah, you can throw the, the Sakura Blossom white background screen up as much as you want, but if they don't sound like they're all together in this, it's kind of lost. 
And again, like I said, with the, the mole people, a big theme of this anime is that nobody should be left alone. So I think that with all of them, even if they don't seem on the surface to like one another, you can kind of hear it in their voice that they do care for each other. I mean, whether it be from Himiko saying that Iride is her big brother. That is a good point. I think what I like about the show is the show kind of actively punishes and sort of demeans the lone wolf types. Like it actively like discourages the lone wolf type mentality. Which is kind of the big thing about, like, Kaikoku in itself. Which, I guess that would be a natural springboard to talk about Kaikoku, now that I think about it. Which, he's so good. He's very interesting. I wasn't sure what, what yeah. I was going to expect with Kaikoku. But he's pretty interesting. And Aaron Campbell gives kind of like a nice, like, suave, cool guy personality and tone to him. Sushi! He's just a weird, freaky fish guy, too, who also really has a sword and is... He's trying to be the cool swordsman, but he can't match his boyfriend in Edge. I spent the first four episodes thinking that Anya and Kaikoku were the same character. I have made the mistake because they do look very similar in aesthetic. And they both have something hanging off the back of their head. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I think when they did that pool over, there was a shot where I legitimately thought it was Anya. And then it took me a second to wait, be like, wait a second, Anya doesn't have a tattoo. Yeah, thank God for that tattoo. It really helped out. What's funny is I saw he did have one, but it's on his left side, whereas Kaikoku has one on his right side on his chest. Oh, shit. Anya has a tattoo, too? Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you just don't see it because he has on clothes, so... They, they like to strip Kaikoku because they know he's got muscles. Kaikoku is great. I would watch him play Token Ranbu all day. Yeah, and Aaron Campbell's actually really, really does a pretty good job selling me on him being... You would assume being the laid-back guy, but in fact, actually, no. he, he's a lot more stern and like got a lot more going on on our surface he's actively the most inquisitive about what the hell their scenario is where everybody else is just kind of like oh i guess this is the thing now what else he's the one who's like okay this this is fucking weird i'm gonna look around yeah. see what's going on and actively pushes the boundaries yeah inquisitive and determined to the point that of course he, we find out he's the one that gets sent to the clean room because he Actively almost tried to murder Pop yeah. at one point. Yeah. Not once, but twice, I think, actually. Because did he and Sakura sneak up onto the 51st floor the first time yes. around? Yes, yes, they did. And that's why you had the Mimicry episode. So, Aaron Campbell's, like, I think he does a good job having, like, the laid-back cool guy voice. But when he gets really serious, it really, really comes across in his voice. He's so good in this. He is, yeah. Like, he's so good in this. And I'm sorry. I surely ship Kaikoku and uh, Zakuro. And I they will forever be boyfriends. And in fact, like I said, when they held hands, I fucking shrieked. And Chris was in the shower. And I think he was like, oh, they probably finally fucking held hands. And I was like, oh. The two spring boys for talking about Kaikoku is you could either talk about his boyfriend or his other gay best friend. Because 
Yuzu and Kaikoku are both gay, but they're not into each other. They're the gay best friends who go to brunch and drink mimosas and talk gossip and brag about how cute their significant others are and try to find new ways to tease and embarrass them. Oh my god, that underwear scene. That underwear scene is another, like, I thought that was, like, serious. Oh, he's going to grill her about what the fuck's going on. And he's just like, okay. No, I, the first thing, once they started saying colors, I was like, they're talking about the colors of everybody's underwear. And I'm like, oh my god. And everybody's yeah. like, no, it's Power Ranger colors. And I'm like, no, 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 that's definitely underwear colors. Also, he fucking disses his boyfriend. He's like, oh, he wears white because he's like a baby virgin boy. He is a baby virgin boy, and I love him. He is a baby virgin boy, and he's gonna fucking demolish him. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to talk about Yuzu yet because I got lots to say about Yuzu. But I think we all. I, I have things to say about Yuzu, but we can talk about his gay bestie in a little bit. I want to talk about my favorite, my best boy in the show. That's Zakuro. Really? Uh, I love really? him. Yes. Interesting. Yes, Stephen Fu is so good. And I've been saying that since I started talking about Stephen Fu. I think Stephen Fu is getting up there with Howard Wang, where I can say Howard Wang can read me the phone book and I'll be happy. Stephen Fu, maybe he could read the dictionary. We'd be okay with that. I'm actually very surprised Zakuro's your best boy. I didn't think he was your type. Um, it's the mask. Ah. And the pink hair. It's the mask and the pink hair and the fact that he's so unashamedly in love with his boyfriend. <laughs> so... I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like, those two together are why this manga is considered shoujo. Like, 1000%. This is a thing. It dawned on me where it's like, wow, okay, these two are close together. And then it just dawned on me a lot more. It's like, wow, they're really close together. And that's why I'm saying this mm. is gayer than Other Side Picnic and Other Side Picnic is marketed as a Yuri. <laughs> I I think, yeah, just his relationship with Kaikoku is really fun and genuinely sweet. And yeah, Stephen Fu has, he's got mysterious ninja boy down pat where he tries to come off as this sort of like cool, unassuming guy. But I like him as embarrassed boy. Oh, I love him yeah. as embarrassed baby virgin boy. He's so fucking cute. You would not expect that like coming from looks of a character type. Like the one who always has a mask. And Stephen Fu lucked out and so did Ben Phillips because neither one of them had lip flaps to contend with. So they really lucked out on all of their their acting and dialogue choices that they got to make themselves because they didn't have to deal with lip flaps. But yeah, Sakura's wild because he's got so many different emotions. We're talking about like cool ninja thing and we're talking about embarrassed. Don't forget... Angie Sundere too. He he and Anya are literally butting heads because they keep trying to compete at who's the Angie Sundere boy. See, and they could get shipped together too, but they're not because we all know that Zakuro and Kaikoku are MFEO. Zakuro's in a committed relationship and Anya's in a committed relationship, but they would dabble with swinging. All right, I can get behind that. I don't know how Kaikoku and Iride would even do anything, but Zakuro and Anya is literally just fighting for who's going to top. 
Oh my God. Why are we talking about this? Jamal, please save me. <laughs> Look, Gigi, I, I, we're having the hard conversations is because this show has marketed itself on very strong character chemistry. And there's a lot to parse from that. But genuinely, I think Steven Foo's just like, he's very sweet. He's also very, I, I love when he gets very emotional. And he's trying to find his sister. You love him kind of losing his shit and freaking out. Here's, Here's me going, God, everybody else has this weird-ass backstory. What the fuck is Zakharov's backstory? Forgot all about the sister, because I was so invested in his boyfriend, Kaikoku. They also implied he's got... Maybe. They were implying that an accident happened with his sister, and she cut his lip. And that's why he's got the mask on, because he has several stitches on his lip. Ah, see, I missed that, uh, so I'm glad you caught that. That isn't me inferring. There is a literal shot of him with several stitches on the corner of his mouth. Okay, I missed that. I think that's why yeah. he keeps the mask on. But no, yes, I, I I love his relationship with his boyfriend. It's so cute. Yes, Steven did a very good job portraying that, because I would admit in the beginning when I first watched this, I wasn't too fond of Sakura and Anya because at the time I wasn't too familiar with either Stephen or Travis. And matter of fact, it sounded like it blended together for me. So coming back to rewatch this now, knowing what I know now, knowing what I see now, it's a very different dynamic and it's one I really like. Stephen manages to capture that emotionality very well because I've seen him recently tend to be a lot of the quiet type of somewhat kind of assuming characters and that I can see the whole ship dynamic too I guess that's why they made the point to establish that not only is he shy about girls but he also attended an all-boys school mm -hmm. he goes to an all-boys school and Karin goes to an all-girls school and that's just the series basically saying oh yeah no that gay keeps scrolling that's that's like kind of flipping the page if you think about like Kai could be the inverse of Sakura if you think about it, and Kaikoku to Romori because Kaikoku is kind of straight laced. He keeps to himself, he's very informative, and Yuzu is just like, yeah, she's smart and she's calculated, but. Well, we'll get to Yuzu later, but she kind of tends to go off on deep end when she's affectionate about Kari. I, I think it's very clear that there's absolute parallels between Zakuro and Kaikoku and Yuzu and Karin. But no, I, I think Steven Fu's really got a lot of versatility with this character in particular. He's a ton of fun. And if you want to see Steven Fu lead in another aggressively bisexual anime cast and crew, go watch the case study of Vanitas. I am watching the case study of Vanitas, thank you. Don't spoil me on it. I'm gonna deep dive into it when I get some time, but you're 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 gonna eat that up. <laughs> of course I am. It's funny because they are vampires. Ha 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 ha. Let's touch on Makino real fast, who I thought was Damon Mills the whole time. <laughs> you know who Damon Mills was? No. Damon Mills was like the voice in episode six that was testing Anya and uh Oh no the the Minecraft guy? Yes, that was Damon. <laughs> yes. Shut the fuck no, up. That was Damon. No, we're dead ass. We're serious. You wanna know how I knew that was Damon? That's his Frieza voice. Oh see I don't watch 
that. That is exactly his Frieza voice to a T. Wow. This is why he got the gig as the voice match. He's really fucking good. He can also apparently do a really good perfect cell voice match too, which is like that. Damon's stupid talented. We all know that Damon Mills is a wizard. Uh, so I apologize, Mr. Mark Allen Jr. Um, but you were very good as Makino. It's a shame that that character does not talk a lot, but what he said did make a good impression. I think, yeah, Mark is really interesting as this sort of soft-spoken weirdo guy who's very keeps to himself, but I was actually kind of really touched with his backstory. Mm-hmm. I also like how his character is the one savior in the hide-and-seek game that helped everybody out towards the last round. He, the only reason they won is because he took a nap and nobody thought to look for the sleeping guy who fell over. Like, as much as this anime <laughs> is very unfinished, it's also very predictable. And I was like, me and Chris, we were both like, yeah, Makino is going to save them all because he's not going to get caught. And sure enough... Makino's kind of the secret MVP. Mm-hmm. He always is. But I thought Mark was really good with the, the few words that he got to say. His backstory episode kind of killed me, though. And Sumire is his sister, right? No. Sumire is not his sister. Sumire is the girl next door. Are you sure Ignored he's the... not his sister? If that was his sister, I had to drop the show, to be honest. Look, he was liter- she was literally across the street and she was kind of waving from him from like the the house next door. I thought she was waving to him from the room across the hall saying, "Don't tell anyone I'm going out with my boyfriend." No, no, no. That is that is the house. That was like the neighbor next door. All right. Well, that clears up some of their family dynamic for me cuz it's clear like his parents didn't love each other and didn't love him. Right. And the one woman he actually wanted, he couldn't have because she was with somebody else. I thought it was his sister, which would have added another layer. That is not his sister. I'm very, very confident that is not his sister. Okay. I think that's why he turned to dating games, because he knew, like, he had the ability to, like, conquer that stuff, but he couldn't really feel satisfied himself with the fact that his own romantic conquest kind of ended off. Though he did fluster Himiko a little bit because he was sleepy and he grabbed her and called her Sumire and she was just kind of like, God bless. So, so if you if you do want to pair them off and we're not a hundred percent sure if Himiko may or may not be Akatsuki's sister, that that's a valid point. Or she gets Anya's every other day. But what about Yuzu? What about Yuzu and Anya? That's the pairing that you set. They're setting us up to have. So first things first, Lenti, holy shit, you good. You fucking good, my dude. You are a crazy, crazy weirdo, very eccentric mad scientist type. I thought that the reveal of her being obsessed with Anya was going to lead to like Kaikaku getting shanked or somebody getting stabbed or becoming full-on yandere obsessive possessiveness. And it didn't. Yeah. Which I'm very impressed by. It was weird. The funniest thing to me about the show is I thought it was going to turn into her obsession with Aki, and that was like her one true love. 
And as it turns out, she might actually be way more attracted to Karin than she is Aki. I think she's fascinated by Aki as like an enigma. But I think she's actually attracted to Karin. Take it easy. So Lenti absolutely sells me on crazy disaster bisexual scientist lady who captures like the goofy moments where she's kind of sweet and cute the sexy moments where she's clearly making a move on Karin and also when she's scary like when she stabs the mimic that looks just like Aki Oh, that was so good. Oh, What a great man. scene. That was so scary. It's like, you actually made the fact that she's an obsessive stalker work because she noticed the tiny details nobody would have. But then it's like, that smile wasn't fair. You almost made me hesitate. I was like, ooh, fuck. So you guys, please correct me or educate me on this. For Lenti, we've got like... The kind of, like, obsessive character from Nanbaka. And then Lenti played my favorite character in City Hunter, the movie, the Shinjuku Private Eyes movie. And their character there was just so awesome and cool and sexy. And I was like, oh, that's great. Like, I really would love to hear Lenti play more characters like that. So... I'm getting like a mix of Nanbaka with a mix of the City Hunter character. What else am I missing? What's in between where Lenti's not doing an animal voice or something very, very cutesy? I'm going to say, of all things, probably Kuma 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 Bear. Really? Yeah, because... Yes. Because the thing about Lenti's character in that show is that... They're also a teenager who's very smart and ex- excels in academics, so to the point that they own their own income and uh, does video games in their spare time. I, I think I see why you're surprised there, Gigi, because honestly, the main character of Yuzu sounds way deeper than you would assume they would from the cutesy bear costume. I absolutely loved Lenti's performance here. I can't get over it. Like, it's just so good. And it made me think, are they in Higurashi? Like, what what anime can I find Lenti in where Lenti is doing something, like, that's crazy scary and, like, sexy at the same time? Because I, I knew Lenti could do obsessive, and I knew Lenti could do sexy. Oh, they're in Cutie Honey Universe. Oh, yeah, Cutie Honey Universe. Oh, I, I should probably finish that. I started it, and then there was one part of it that I just couldn't get through, and so I was like, I should maybe finish that. But I, ah, thank you so much for showing us this acting chops side of you, because, look, I know you're a great director, I know you're a great writer, the few things that I've heard you in, you have been phenomenal, But, I mean, a lot of it is, like, the cutesy animal voices. And this is so different to me. First of all, I love Yuzu as a character type. Like, that type is my character type. And I'm like, ah, yes. But it just, I don't know. It was so good. I love the scene where she is solving the puzzle. And she is losing it. 
well, absolutely and then, fucking mm-hmm. losing it. When Yuzu 2 is after the puzzle where she's reaching out for her sister, I was kind of like, oh, there is like a softer side here that we're not get Again, we're not getting to see and we don't really know what's going on. But it's clear that Yuzu is so lonely and she is just struggling for some kind of companionship, any kind of companionship, you know, whether it be from her crazy crush on Akatsuki or whatever's going on between her and, and Karin. Okay, by the way, can I, t- can I mm-hmm. talk about that scene? I love how she is freaking out and like joking and being like, ah, I, Karin, I could use you as... A lap pillow, that'd be nice. And then Karin's like, dude, shut up. Be real with me. Yeah, that's a good scene too. I'm here for you. You got this. You're not alone. I'm here with you. <sighs> it Genuinely, I went from like, oh, okay. The, she's into her because she thinks she's hot. It's like, oh no. They're actually good together. Oh yes. no, they're gay. Oh <laughs> no, they're so fucking gay. <laughs> Oh, man. So, I feel really so conflicted about this dub as a whole because there's so much there and it's so good and not a lot of people watch this show. See, that, that just makes it like an like a un, un, underrated gem. Like, but even I didn't watch the show and now I feel bad because like I could have watched this show and given it a bunch of W's. And I didn't because I was just like, I don't, I, I never watched it, you know, but thinking on it now, like, I'm so mad about the ending that I don't know if I could ever watch it again. Interesting perspective, but I get it. No, I, I think, honestly, I'd actually say Yuzu might be pretty close to like, I'm not saying Yuzu is exactly Lenti's like natural voice, but I can definitely hear a little more of their natural register in some of what Yuzu does. I want, I want this all the time. I I think it's a really fun, complicated character. I think Yuzu's got the, like the right level of craziness, but sincerity and intrigue going on for her. And I think Lenti absolutely captures everything that Yuzu as a character needed while making her really interesting and engaging to the audience. But the best thing is, Lenti sold me on this bitch gay. <laughs> like, she... I liked the baby version, too. Yuzu is there in a the hospital bed while she's talking to Kaikoku, and she's like, I would get up, but I don't think my nurse is ready to discharge me yet. And she's just, like, stroking her hair. It's like, oh, they're so, so yep. cute. They're so cute. I actually really like them. Jamal, do you have anything else to say about Marissa? Uh, Marissa has always impressed me very well. But users, they kind of take it to a whole other level. Because, as you explained, like, you know, three sides to her. There's the crazy side, there's the obsessive side, and there's the... Cause not exactly the gentler side, but the side she opens up kind of the most. I will say though, the whole thing with uh, Yusu, uh, Karin, and Aki. I think with Aki, she's obsessive, but with Karin, it's kind of more seductive to the point it's also become gentle over time. Because if you remember from the uh, the AI episode, the 
You know the one with the kids? Yeah, yeah. That was just like a, oh, this is a weird premise. I almost wish they had changed some of the babies up so we could have a full-on cute AU of like, okay, this is the ship and this is the ships interacting together. Which they absolutely delivered with Zakuro and Kaikoko. <laughs> yeah, because like I said, she's kind of obsessed with Aki because when you see one of the pictures with them together, it's like, what the hell is going on here? So here you go. Why are they in a picture in lab coats together? Which again, makes me think that Aki has played before and that Yuzu has played before, but she just doesn't remember. Or maybe Aki doesn't remember. God, this fucking bothers me. It sounds like you really like the show and that makes you more mad that this is a read the manga ending. I did the same thing with Danganronpa and <laughs> then I would get really mad when somebody would get killed off before I could figure out what the hell was going on with it. And I did this with Squid Game and I did this with Future Diary and I did this with Batum. Oh God, Batum. Which was also a read the yeah. manga ending, but at least that manga was there that I could read it. I think that's the thing with uh, Battle Royale games sometimes. It's usually little to no backstory depending on the character you're viewing from. This isn't a battle royale. It's like, it's trying to sell you on it, but it's not. It's trying to make you think, but it's not. Definitely it's not. And there's, at times, there's more to the story than there actually is. Uh, of course, we'll never know more again. Unless you read Japanese or just look up shit. Yeah, true. Uh, before we get on to Carmine, I just want to... Because I... There was something that glossed over with uh, Mark, because I know... Makino didn't say much, but for what Mark did say, it was very good. I know this was like one of his first roles when he moved from California. Right, yeah, 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 because he, he, he actually used to live in California for a bit. That's why he popped up in stuff like Maki, but I think he moved to California after some time. He moved to Texas after oh, some time. Oh, yes, that's what I meant to say. Also, fun fact, I also learned that guy was a white bat at one point. Really? Really? <laughs> Yeah, he posted a tweet about it. I, I gotta see if I can find it, but it was... I have not watched Wipeout in years. God, I, 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 I know the TBS version is up now, but... Did he fuck up on the bouncy balls, or did he get hit with, like, a giant pole? Who knows? I'd have to find that tweet, so... Questions for later. Anyway, so let's get out to Kari, because we've been kind of holding back for a bit. And sometimes she does, too, with her punches. <laughs> Let's see, when we're going into Kareen, I have to say that her character is indeed quite stacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know sometimes when she plays certain games, she gets so scared to the point that she feels the odds are stacked against her, you know? Ah, okay, so when I make the boob joke, the, uh, that's whatever, but when you make the boob joke, you're like, oh, that's No, I wasn't pretty. making the boob joke, I was thinking of episode 12. The giant Mario Party episode. Jamal, that wasn't Mario Party. That was fucking Rio Rainbow Gate. I'm surprised you didn't think of it. No, I've watched Rio Rainbow Gate. There was no card battles. It was just a bonus stage. Wasn't the whole thing about Rio... I watched it with Steph. Aren't they all technically, like, card battles? Wait, Rio Rainbow Gate is a card battle? I might have to watch it. Yes, it's this weird, like, gambling card battle yeah. shonen... I was thinking Kaiji, personally, <laughs> during that last episode. I get what you're going with the Mario Party thing. It's a lot more Dokapon Kingdom than anything. 
Which, that is a bloodbath of a game. Oh my god, I just remembered that Kaiji was getting a dub. Sorry. It I is. I just got really excited for myself. I'm very excited for that, that too, yeah. Sorry, please continue. Chrissy Rothrock is delightful. Very. Uh, she has a ton of fun playing this girl who's... She's very much the more typical Sundere-type character. Seemingly violent, but also lashes out when people are making fun of her. So, I've been holding off a little bit on mentioning the OVA. For a specific reason in that it's very much a lot of fluffy stuff. Nonsense stuff that's very silly. And I also completely forgot to mention the fact that Kaikoku literally gives Zakuro his mushroom. Mm -hmm. I screamed so loud. Literally just gives his boy his giant mushroom. Yarichin Bitch Club, baby. <laughs> okay. Someone will get that reference. The reason I bring up the OVA in particular is that one of the little vignettes is a gag about how everybody is body swapping with Kari. <sighs> Oh my god. I forgot about that and I wanted to talk about it. And they did the correct way to do the body swap thing. All of the actors are playing the other character. And Christy Rothrock, in that short little vignette, gets to play everybody else. And it's so fucking good. Yes. I for thank you for mentioning that because I watched it and I was like, oh my god, this reminds me of my favorite thing that Udapri has ever done, which is the body swap in the game. But getting to hear these voice actors play everybody else, oh god, it was so funny. They do a good job playing off of each other really, really well. Like, Christy in particular gets the most work because she has to play everybody else, and she sounds absolutely like what these characters would sound like. And it's so good. I, I think my favorite, with like, you got the creepier characters who are like, all right, yo, let's get some viewers. Take it off! <laughs> <sighs> and then her girlfriend's like, oh, yeah, no, now I can do this in first person. Oh my god. Christy is really good at this. Like, I don't have a whole lot to say, but <laughs> I thought I just remember the body swap now and everything about it was hysterical. I'm just so happy I got to hear more of her as an actress because other than Citrus, which TBH I never finished, uh <laughs> I haven't really heard her in a lot, I feel like, so. Christy's really coming into her own, and yes. I, I really like a lot of the things I've heard her in, and this is a really, really fun performance in particular. You have to keep in mind for me, everyone who's listening to this, that unless it's something my boyfriend makes me watch or something I watch for dub talk, I just don't have a lot of time to watch anime for myself anymore, which is a fucking shame, but I just don't have the time. No, I get it. I get it. But yeah, no, I... I also love, like, the, the bathhouse episode where you can just feel, like, anger and death and yeah, carnage in her voice. Yeah, that is funny. But, like, I, I think the thing, it's like, I'm not talking much about her in the other things, but I think Karin is a great character that bounces off of every other character she's in a scene with. And it just works so well. But the absolute standout to me is the Ova episode where she gets to play everybody else. 
and absolutely nails every single character she gets to play. That's always fun when you get to hear it when they do it once. She got to do it with like five or six people, and that's delightful. And the feeling's mutual for all the other characters who have to play Karin. I love hearing, like, Justin Briner getting to play Karin. Oh, yeah, I, I love how she's playing Akatsuki, and he was the one that was like, yo, let's take my top off and let's get some viewers. And it's like, don't perhaps be around, like, some sort of shameless bimbo. I really like Christy as Karin, and I think Karin is great. And I especially love Karin with her lovely girlfriend, Yuzu. Okay, anyways, now, now that we've had the serious discussion. So which one's the top when it comes to Karin and Yuzu? Let's oh see. my god. You piss Karin off, she gets aggressive, so I'd say... Anyways, to answer the question, Karin. Uh, Switch-leaning sub and Yuzu is a power bottom. Oh my god. Yeah, I will say, yeah, he's, he's right, because you don't get to hear Christy the lot of things, which is one of the reasons I brought Miss Koritsu, because that's ongoing right now, and I'm not used, completely not used to her voice yet, but I am now as, as of that show. Everybody thought it was Felicia that show, but, you know, you can kind of hear how she portrays characters like these, plus all the roles I picked out for her were pink-haired characters, so... But Christie's Karin is, I want to say it's very pleasant, but I think that's very pleasant during, like, the somber moments. Very funny during the comedic moments. I am a little sad at that bathhouse scene, though, because Parker then fucked everything up, man, by switching the science around. I think that was another thing. It's like, we talked about directly helping them out. I'm like, if the name of the game is to get more viewers, having a scenario like that is absolutely going to get them more viewers. Well, yeah, definitely, but, like, Kinda wanted to see which which fucking A plus knocked over fifty of them. That girl fucking styling on them. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's rank. But <laughs> also, I mentioned with the the bathhouse scene, it was kind of funny, like how like they tried to play it off, like tried to flip the script, which is what I was kind of hoping for. And everybody wanted Katsuki to take the lead. They were arguing to see who'd go <laughs> from behind him. They just wanted to use them as a shield, let's be honest. <laughs> they wanted to use them as a shield. And then after they got talking so much, so loud to the point that Kari literally walked behind them. And you can see the, the Akuma aura around her, like she gonna beat somebody up. <laughs> it was the style at the time. Five Bs for a quarter, we'd say. To which, the after scene when you see them all bandaged up, in the clothes, sitting, sitting around the table, like, everybody looks unconscious, like, just woke up. All of a sudden, you see Iride with an afro, and I'm like, what? And Makido just goes, afro. <laughs> Man, I don't know what happened to that dude where he got really into afros. Also, we established that Karin is, like, the most maternal character of all of them. And it's really cute that she's just taking care of all the kids and all the kids love her. Yeah. Babies. It, I, I love how, like, Kaikaku's just being a baby rascal is like, you can't go in there. He's like, he's, he's a baby. He's fine. He can join me. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then that worked. And then he sprouted a fucking fish. Ugh. <laughs> a magic hop at that. Oh, God. Shut up. I hate fish so much. I think it's time to clear this stage and get into final thoughts. So, 
Yeah, I think the the last thing you could say is that the strength of these characters is both the strength of their performance and the strength of their chemistry with one another. And all of them absolutely sell the strength of their individual performances simultaneously alongside how well they work together. And that is absolutely high praise on Steven, Travis, Aaron, Mark, Christy, Kate, Lenti, and Justin Briner in particular, for sure. I feel as an anime watcher, and especially as somebody who specifically watches this type of anime, it's fucking maddening that there's no ending and that there's all these little plot threads that never get resolved. But I will say I had a really good time watching this up until I realized it wasn't going to get an ending. And a lot of that had to do with the dub, especially the writing. And as someone who sits here and talks about English dubs for a living, it was nice to be able to talk about some new people. So you got to give it to casting on that one. And of course, Lenti pulls off like the performance of performances. I'm very happy with the dub. I'm just sad. You're frustrated with the show because you like it. I'm frustrated with the show and I'm frustrated that nobody's picked up the manga and I'm not going to go on Pixiv and try and find fan translations of it. And in fact, I think the fan translation stopped. Like it's the manga still ongoing, but they stopped the translation. Oh, that's even worse. Oh boy. I just want to know what happens. I want to know if I'm right. It's killing me, fam. This is like almost as bad as the non-ending of Nana. Anyways, Gigi, you should watch Nanbaka next. Uh, I have to watch something for another podcast. No, I know I know. there's other things to watch. I just want to say Nanbaka because, hey, Nanbaka is amazing, but also Nanbaka is... I watched like half of the first season and then I stopped watching it for some unknown reason. Like that is so your thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know it is. Nanbaka is completely my thing. Mm-hmm. I'm also watching Stone Ocean right now, which could possibly be usurping as my new favorite JoJo. But I gotta wait to see how it ends, so. So yeah, I guess as the saying goes, after imitate, never duplicated. This show, well yeah, I did make a few comparisons to Dog and Rock, but I do feel that the strength of the dub and the, the strength of the characters kind of lends itself to being its own thing. And that kind of worked, because there were some characters I was, I was intrigued to find out, there were some characters... I would be intrigued to find out, but we've mentioned on and on, this story is not currently ongoing and has not been picked up. But I think for what Cliff, Michelle, Blair, and Caitlin did, they all did a very good job working with what they have. And thinking back on it, I think at this time it might have been like a little bit of a breather after, you know, we went through a heavy season before that with... I know one of the big things was Sarasad by so like it normally with that kind of season like when you come off of the gigantic highs if you went straight to another high it probably wouldn't hold up as much so when this stuff came out what it did I'm just rambling off but I'm gonna be honest on my rewatch I like 
I wasn't really fond of it the first time, but on my second rewatch, I I like it. Good. I'm gonna be real. I'm genuinely shocked how much I like this one. Yeah. Because I was expecting this was going to be edgy death game. Everything that had been sold to me about it has been edgy death game. It seemed like it was trying to be a Danganronpa, and I was a little turned off by that because it seemed like a diet Danganronpa can always be kind of lame when it's not really done right. But the strength for me of Danganronpa is not that all my favorites die and everybody doesn't trust each other and it's violent. No, what works for me about Danganronpa is the characters and the chemistry of these characters alongside one another. And the ones within is all about the chemistry of these characters. And I'll be honest, this might not have come across to me as well in the Japanese. I feel it. I feel it in this English dub and these performances in particular of a lot of interesting casting choices, but I feel a lot of the love and chemistry for these characters come across in this dub. And I think that is the key pitch for this show. If you like weird, wacky scenarios with a fun cast of characters that work well with each other to the point that I am legitimately making like shipping charts for all of them, I genuinely was charmed by the character chemistry, and I think the dub performances, along with, like, the direction and script, absolutely highlight that aspect for me, and I'm really glad to have been proven wrong about Ones Within, and I was really, really impressed. So, thank you, Lenti. Thank you for finally giving me a reason to watch the show you've been telling us to cover for over a year now. Yeah, and it haven't been said. We all liked it. We just wish we had a bit more of the show. But what can you do? You wish all your favorites end on an ending instead of a non-ending, which... Man, the worst one for me is still Gangsta. I never finished it. Should I not? Because it's just gonna disappoint me. Oh, Gigi. Gigi, if the ones within made you bad, Gangsta will make you furious. But Gangsta has a manga, doesn't it? Isn't it done? It has a manga, but the manga is not done, and the mangaka has various health issues. Alrighty. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's end on something positive, Jamal. Who gave us money, and where can we watch The Ones Within? Also, who the fuck are we? I'd like to know who I am. Cancelled. Fucking thanks. <laughs> Jesus Jeez, bitch. <laughs> First off, if you want to watch The Once Within, uh, uh, real quick, it's available on Funimation now. At the time of this recording, it's archived on Funimation.com and the Funimation Now app. Then if you just want to watch it on your Blu-ray or DVD, you can buy a hard copy for Best Buy, Right Stuff, wherever you get your anime. Or from that back alley guy who smells but has a lot of weird cool shit in his collection. You know the one. You might want to avoid that guy just for your own safety. As for us and what we get up to with the Dub Talk Podcast, we can be found on YouTube at Dub Talk Podcast. We can also be found on the various podcast apps Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. If you want to support us, you can do so by subscribing to our channels as well as our gaming channel. Or you can also donate money to us. We have a Kofi account, or coffee, however you want to pronounce it. We also have uh, our Patreon. 
two, which in our $5 tier, we have Julia W, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with Yowie hands. I'm certain he'll love, love this show. Add Victor May Baroda. In our $10 tier, we have Anthony Brown, Connie Leistercow, Crimson Kinder, Jacob Wilson, Jared Hawkins, the lovely Lenty, of course, and Otaku Anthony. You are all very nice people. Also, in addition, if you want to donate to our Patreon, we do a quarterly raffle four times a year. You have to be the $10 tier to, vote, to pick an episode of your choice, at which we will draw it random. At the time of this episode's release, the spring quarter should be starting up soon. So if you're a $10 tier patron, you can submit an episode of your own that you would like within our foreseeable guidelines. Yes, and uh, what's addressed to Rojas, we decide what you get. You gotta see where the fates lie, but you can submit to us what you want us to cover for an episode like this. Titan's Bride. Sorry, did I say that out loud? You can't influence the vote, Jeej. That's not how this game works. I'm on every Patreon episode. <laughs> Pretty much what you have to do is uh, gather 10,000 coins and get that one wish ticket. I do what I want. I just, I also loved how Maki Maki's just there, like, winning all the coins. And he's just very quietly like, I'm drowning. Who knew that man could seduce Lady Luck? Oh. Wish I had that ability, but anyway, as for us and what we get up to, where can people find you? My name is Andrew, aka Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at MangaMan9000. You can find me doing some gaming stuff on our Twitch channel every now and then alongside Stephanie. And I'm also on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we talk about the latest in anime news alongside fellow Dub Talk co-host Jet. My name is Gigi. You can find me on YouTube, Twitter, and Pop Shop Live at Anime Palooza. I talk about boys. I have a lot of cute merch, and sometimes I sell it because I am trying to adult and failing miserably. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I'm Jamal. You can find me on Twitter at Jamstar529, YouTube Jamstar1. I try to get a solo podcast going if I can get off my ass and do it. I'm also an assistant editor for the podcast. I I don't do a lot of stuff outside of Dub Talk except watch YouTube, but you know I, I like to have a good time, just have some fun, like these people here. Yeah, thanks for having us, dude. This one was fun and a lot more gay than I was expecting. It was a good time. Yes, welcome to gays. Man, the fact that this was Shoujo explains why there was a lot of scenes and moments where they really wanted the guys to cross-dress. I mean, it's, it's what we like. We like that shit. Let's get a uh, girl sacrifice. Okay, let's just dress one of the boys instead. We like cute girls doing cute things in cute outfits, and we like cute boys doing each other. <laughs> so that would uh, then you find the worst before we sign off? There is nothing more powerful in this world than male Sundares, says the ones within. So, for more of us here at Dub Talk, good night, big balls, otaku odd, and keep on gaming. Love your faces! <laughs> God damn it, Andrew! <laughs> <laughs>